it's kind of funny that it, I'd be talking about peace because on the inside, my heart's not at peace. It's racing. My, my stomach's not at peace. I've calculated how many steps it would take me to get through that exit door. And the only thing stopping me is that I know I'd catch one of those cords and I'd trail every one of those decorations out the door with me. But I want to jump right in this morning and, and, uh, and to try to tackle peace. Let's start by, by looking at uh, a familiar passage of Luke 2, 1 through 16. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Is there any scripture better than this? Any story more well-written, any words better chosen? And even though we hear them every Christmas, they somehow never get old. It came to pass in those days that Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of David into Judea, to the city, um, excuse me, went out from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea. Those words in the picture painted by them, the baby in a manger, Shepherds watching over their flocks by night, visited by an angel on the plains of Bethlehem declaring the birth of a Savior and the arrival of peace on earth and goodwill to men. Peace will be the theme in in TV ads and the Hallmark movies and Christmas cards again this year. And I think if we're honest, the idea of peace sometimes seems like it's just a nice sentiment. Something we wish for ourselves and for those that we love, but it often remains that, just a wish. Peace can seem like an empty promise, out of reach, unattainable at the worst, and at best it's just something momentary that you experience for a short time before it slips through your fingers and it's carried away and replaced again with the weight of some conflict 
worry, or anxiety. But that passage that we just read tells us that when Jesus came, he brought peace with him. We celebrate Advent as the anticipation of the arrival of Jesus Christ, of his presence. His presence is accompanied by peace. It was a little over six years ago that I woke up in the middle of the night feeling a pain in my side. It was hard to tell what it was at first. It felt like it was maybe a pulled muscle or cramps. But whatever it was, it was getting worse and quickly. I'd never been in an ambulance, never spent a night in the hospital before, but I remember just knowing that something was wrong and telling Jen to hurry and call an ambulance. And by the time the EMTs arrived, I was curled into the fetal position on our bathroom floor. I couldn't talk, it hurt so bad. The ride to the hospital seemed to take forever. Every bump in the road gave me a new jolt in the side. And whatever the clear fluid was that the EMT injected into that IV bag, it only dulled the pain a little bit. Once at the hospital, they wheeled me into the emergency room, and I was just writhing in pain. It seemed like forever, but soon the nurses and a doctor came and wheeled me into a room and shot me full of medication and anesthesia to numb the pain that kept pounding my side. I remember the doctor telling me that they suspected a kidney stone and that a CAT scan would verify whether or not that's what it was. So they wheeled me into a room where the CAT scan machine was loaded, uh, located. The nurse asked me to please remain still for the scan, but I was squirming in pain as my body was just trying to push a stone from my kidney down to my bladder. I wouldn't have been surprised if the CAT scan had shown that thing to be a flaming bowling ball the way it felt. <laughs> my last memory was of the nurse telling me that they would give me something to take care of the pain and settle me down so that they could do the scan. And I remember just a few seconds of that groggy stupor that you feel before the anesthesia makes you unconscious. And sometime late the next day, I woke up back in my bed at home still foggy from whatever they had given me the night before. And it wasn't long before Jen came in to check on me. She sat on the bed beside me and she asked me how I was, how I was doing. And then she asked me if I remembered what the doctor had told me after the CAT scan. You know, about your lung. And in a second my mind cleared and I was able to remember the doctor beside me telling me that the CAT scan had indeed revealed a kidney stone, but it also captured an image of something on one of my lungs, some small, unidentifiable spot that didn't belong there that needed to be checked out ASAP. The next days included calls from my primary doctor scheduling a visit. He told me not to worry too much, that an additional scan would most likely rule out cancer, because after all, I was healthy. I had never smoked and had no family history. And so he scheduled a follow-up scan, and it was performed, and shortly after that, I got another call from him. And what I expected to hear was, you're all clear. But instead, he began telling me that the scan had not shown him what he was hoping to see in order to rule out cancer. 
See, benign spots tend to have a certain shape and structure, and the scan hadn't shown that. I was going to need more testing. The next step would be a PET scan where an irradiated glucose fluid would be injected into my veins and allowed to circulate through my body. And any cancer cells would attract the glucose like a magnet, and the scanner would pick up the irradiated particles, and it would look like a plume that you'd see on a thermal imaging camera. The PET scan would either confirm or rule out whether or not I had a cancerous tumor. The only problem with that was that there was only one PET scan facility in southern Maine. Their schedule was full and they wouldn't be able to get me in for several days. Several days of waiting and wondering. And I remember hanging up the phone with my mind spinning. Up until that phone call, I'd been convinced that this was all just a nuisance, convinced that these tests and doctors would turn out to be a gigantic waste of my time. But hearing the doctor say that he wasn't seeing what he had hoped for, it kind of left me stunned. It scared me like nothing else had before. Those few words caused me to think of things that I hadn't had to consider before. My life could be over. I could be gone. There's nothing in the world more precious to me than my wife and kids. And my son Dale was 13 years old. He was just entering those most difficult years be between becoming a boy and a man. How would he do that without his dad? Lindsay, my 17-year-old daughter, had decisions to make about college and how to pay for it. And my beautiful wife, Jen, who would be left to take care of all the bills and the house and the car if I was gone. Those are my jobs, my responsibilities. That's what I was there for. And my mind raced with those thoughts, the things that I would miss if I was gone. All of those firsts. The first dates, driving tests, my kids' first jobs, their weddings, my future grandkids, and also the things that I would miss with Jen, just the simple things, the time spent with her. She's my best friend. And it scared me to death to think of losing those things, of being separated from the ones that I love the most and leaving them fatherless and widowed. The mere thought of being separated them, from them, being pulled from their lives and me from theirs. And, and while I would not expect or want Jen to go through the rest of her life alone, I think the idea that I might be replaced was the scariest one of all. And I can tell you at a time like that, the savings account, the IRAs, the life insurance, all the things that I had always considered security, those offer no comfort. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. The will to live is hardwired within us, and this will never become more apparent to you. Life is never more precious to you than when you think it might be taken away. And it felt like I was about to, life was about to take me on a ride that I hadn't bought a ticket for and that I didn't really want to go on. These things were just running back and forth in my mind, all of the fears and the what-ifs. I was doing what comes so naturally to all of us, trying to find the answers myself. How can I fix this? 
how could I buy my way out of this? But I had no answers. I had absolutely no control over what the results of that scan were going to be. I had no power to change or even know what the days ahead had in store for me or my family. There was nothing I could do that could change the circumstances that I found myself in. And those thoughts just kept racing back and forth through my mind as I waited for those days to pass for that scan, especially at night when I would just toss and turn in a cold sweat from all the worrying. And it was sometime in those days that I called my pastor. I told him what the doctor had said, and I remember that as he prayed and he asked the Lord to use his healing hands on me, that I thought of all the other times that God had led me through different situations. None of them had been as serious as cancer, but each time that I had asked for his presence in some period of conflict or stress or uncertainty, he had brought me through. As my pastor prayed, I just surrendered my fears to God, and this this incredible warm feeling of peace came over me. The Bible describes God's peace as a peace that surpasses all understanding. It definitely surpasses my vocabulary and my ability to describe it. But what I felt was an inner calm. Not just that my fears and worries were gone, but I felt an assurance that I was being protected. I say I felt it, but what I should say is that I knew it. I was sure of it. Not sure what the results of that scan would be, but sure that whatever lay in store for me, I would be able to trust God to see me through it. Up until then, I had believed in Him. But now, I could just believe Him. Believe His promises. Believe that He is who He says He is. Trust Him with whatever the outcome was going to be. And it turned out that a few days later, I did have the PET scan and found out that the spot on my lung was simply a benign growth, a false alarm. And as as scary as that experience was, I'm actually grateful for it because it taught me an invaluable lesson that peace with God is what allowed me to experience the peace of God. I'm sure that many of you here this morning need peace in some area of your life. And maybe you came here hoping to find it. I suspect that some of you had had similar moments in your life. But for you, it wasn't a health scare like mine. It was an actual health crisis. Your diagnosis was cancer. Or some other trial or difficulty or struggle that you faced in the past or you're facing right now. For others, life may be going well at the moment. But you aren't really able to relax and enjoy it because there's this nagging feeling that some unseen thing looms over the horizon. Some conflict or situation. A feeling that one phone call one unexpected blow to some area of your life is going to spell disaster. And I bet it's not much of a stretch to to say that some of you got up this morning wondering how you're going to get through another day with what you're going through facing a problem in your marriage, finances, or your job. Wondering how you're going to break free from an addiction. If the pain is ever going to go away. Or how you're going to pay the heating bill or put gas 
and tires in the car. And some of you may have received that phone call that you were dreading. Just last week, Pastor Travis prayed for a three-year-old little boy diagnosed with leukemia. How do you prepare yourself for that? How do you find peace when a wave crashes over you like that? On the night before he was crucified, Jesus spoke to his, his disciples in order to prepare them for the events that would happen in the days ahead. Events that would, that would shake them and frighten them. In John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There's a contrast to the peace of Jesus and worldly peace. His peace is different. The only peace this world can offer is shallow and temporary. His peace is deep and permanent. Most people mistakenly define peace as the absence of trouble and problems. But there is no way to avoid the difficulties of this life. Jesus himself said in John 16.33 that in this world you will have trouble. But at one time or another, we have all found ourselves in some attempt to get away from problems. But have you found that you cannot outrun the difficulties of this world? I read an article the other day about how the death rate in our country has climbed recently due to drug overdoses and suicides. The sad choices of so many who couldn't find an answer to the struggles that they were facing. Only God is the, is the source of true peace for your life. Without God, there is no peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled and neither let it be afraid. Jesus offers you a peace that will see you through the trials of life. Philippians 4.7 says that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guide your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. His peace is a peace that can be counted on in a difficult circumstance. The peace of God is unshakable in the midst of trouble to guard and protect you. But here's the thing about the peace of God. It's not possible for you to experience unless you first have peace with God. You must first have peace with God in order to experience the peace of God. Making that peace with God is foundational to your entire life. Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. At first glance, that seems to contradict what we've talked about so far this morning. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, doesn't seem to mesh with 
Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't misunderstand. Don't think that this is easy. See, if you only heard about the angels declaring peace on earth, or if you only heard about how Jesus leaves us peace in times of trouble, you might start to think that the only reason that Jesus came was to make life a little easier for you. You might start to think that you could kind of sit back and just let him take care of everything. You might start to think that you could just show up on a Sunday morning at Summit and listen to a great sermon from Pastor Travis, sing some songs, and some miracles would just start to happen in your life. That your marriage would get better. You'd get a raise. Oh, and it'd be someone else that got that phone call with the bad news. Thank you, Jesus. I'll see you next Sunday. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Jesus uses the sword, a symbol of warfare, a blade that divides, that cuts in two, to paint a picture. He uses this language to paint a picture of conflict, of division, of two choices to be made. In other passages, Jesus speaks of two roads that we can take in life. One is wide, the other narrow. One difficult, one easier. He tells of two foundations to build your life upon. One built upon stone that will withstand storms. The other built on sand that will be washed away. And he describes two gates. One that is wide that leads to destruction and one that is narrow that leads to life. And he testifies of two eternal destinations, heaven or hell. In John 18, 37, Jesus said, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus came to this earth as the embodiment of a truth, a truth that divides, a truth that forces a choice. There's a decision for each of us to make, and the decision is this. Do you believe Jesus Christ is who he says he is? Is he your Lord and Savior? See, we don't even realize how much of an invisible war goes on between us and God. We don't realize how many of the problems that we face in life are just the result of our power struggle. And if I told you that you and I in our natural state as unbelievers were enemies with God, you'd probably think that's a bit much. But that's exactly what the Bible says about us. We resist him, avoid him, and turn from him. There's something within us that makes us think that we know better than God how we should live our lives. There are some troubles in life where we're just collateral damage. Innocent bystanders. You didn't do anything to cause it. But there are other problems in life that are, that are the result of the choices that we make. Choices to live in opposition to God. Choices to do it our way. God has a design for every aspect of your life. Your marriage, 
your work, your finances, your relationships with other people. And if you don't align your life to fit with God's design, those things will never come close to working as they were intended. There will never be peace where you shut God out. I was 42 years old when I finally handed my life over to the Lord. 18 months before that night that I woke up with that kidney stone. I'd asked him to be my savior long before that. The first time I was probably seven or eight years old at church with my grandmother. But I had never really followed him. At 17 years old, I started working for a small local construction company, and for the next 25 years, I climbed the company ladder. That job became my security. That job became the center of my life. I thought that job was going to be my ticket to the good life, the money and success. But with each new level of responsibility came new pressure. By 2010, I was part owner, vice president, and project manager. And the company paid for everything. My salary, a new pickup, my insurance, the cell phone, and a nice bonus at the end of the year. But by 2010, I had also reached the point of realizing that success in my job had side effects that I hadn't planned on. All of our contracts were low-bid jobs, and the competition was so tight because of the recession that we were operating on razor-thin margins, which turned the pressure up even more. I was finding that everything was revolving around money in one way or another. The smallest discrepancy on the plans became an opportunity to charge extra money to the owner. And that would set off a battle with the architect over whether those costs were justified. There were deadlines and inspections. There were supply problems and subcontractor issues. My cell phone would go off from 5 a.m. till 9 p.m. at night. And when that wasn't going off, there were emails and letters and reports. And that chaos started spilling over into other parts of my life. I couldn't unwind from the stress my language got to the point where I could outbeat Tony Beats from the Gold Rush. My temper was so short that I had no control over it. I remember the, the arguments with my son especially, where I would literally pick him up off the floor by the scruff of his neck and scream at him. And the whole time I knew inside that it was because of my job. I hated that job. I knew inside that it was wrong to constantly be in conflict. I knew that it was wrong for every decision to revolve around money. I hated that job. I knew it wasn't where I was supposed to be. But I was too scared to leave because of the security of the money. That voice inside said, you got to do something about this. I needed peace. I needed this to change. And one day I drove by a little church with a sign outside that said, join us Sunday, come as you are, no pretending necessary. My life had felt like everything I was doing was pretending. 
And Jen and I visited church that Sunday where the pastor told this simple message about how following Jesus could change my life. And I started following him. And he did change my life. Small steps at first, and then I asked him one night if he would just close the door on my job so that I could leave because I was scared, too scared to do it on my own. And he did. He closed that door. And I left that job that I'd been at for 25 years in the middle of the winter during the worst recession that has occurred during my lifetime to start my own business. Jesus showed me that I could trust him during that time. Before that, I had only known him as Savior. But now I know him as Lord of my life. He changed my life once I made peace with him. He changed my life. I'm different now. And he can change your life too. Jesus didn't come to this earth to offer you a Christmas card version of peace. He came to speak truth in your life that he is the only way for you to make peace with God so that you can know the peace of God. I pray that you can see that clearly. I'm going to wrap up here, but I I want to say this. God never intended for you to be self-sufficient or self-reliant. He never intended for you to face the troubles of this world alone. His plan has always been that you would walk with him through this life. If you walked in here this morning wondering how you're going to make it through another day in your marriage, finances, job, addiction, or pain, please don't walk out those doors wondering the same thing. I'd like to close with a short prayer of blessing for you. It's actually a prayer that's taken from the Bible itself, from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.